Way down in Missouri where I heard this melody The old folks were humming The banjos were strumming So sweet and low Mike Satterfield, A1 Bonds. What is it you want? We hold the bond on Jessup Dolly. He didn't show for court. That ain't no run. Jessup signed over everything. If he doesn't show a trial, see, the way the deal works is y'all gonna lose his house here. You got some place to go? I'll find him. Girl, I've been looking. I said I'll find him. You see, the law was out here hunting Jessup. You know where he's at? I wouldn't tell him nothing if I did. I really got to run Dad down to get him to show. You ought not do that. Dad's your only brother. I don't know where he's at, and I ain't going to go around asking after him, neither. Who might you be? I'm Ree. My dad's Jessup Dolly. You ain't here for trouble, are you? I got a real bad need to talk to him. Talking just causes witnesses. How long before we get kicked off our own property? I reckon y'all got this place about another week. The law found Jessup's car. Somebody set fire to it. He wasn't in it. Do you know those people going around saying you best shut up? People you want to listen to. Get out of the truck. Put your hands where I can see them. Is this going to be our time? There's stuff that you're going to have to get over being scared of. Get off! Don't hurt my sister! Get in the house! warned and you wouldn't listen why didn't you listen hello everyone and welcome to our special bonus episode of citizen dame we don't know what number of bonus episode because we don't really keep track but this is our april bonus and we are talking about the film winter's bone which was directed by the amazing deborah granick i am karen peterson joined as always by the also amazing lauren humphreys brooks hello how are you lauren I'm all right. I'm I'm doing I'm doing fine. A little bit like overworked and underpaid, but that's all right. These that's all are, of us. Yeah, all the entire like multiple generations right now are just like I have too much work and I'm not getting paid enough for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, if you are not Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or yeah, if you're not a billionaire, you're probably working too hard and not being fairly compensated for it. And we're here mm-hmm. with you standing with you sitting in our homes podcasting about movies for free (laughs) but we do these bonus episodes of course the first part of it will be available to everyone the rest of it will be available to those of you who do help us out supporting the show and keeping things going we want to thank our patrons for your contributions it's great so not free not free actually in this particular (laughs) case like we're not (laughs) (laughs) yes this definitely helps us pay for our hosting and all the the important stuff that goes with it so we appreciate we appreciate that but anyway let's get on to uh winter's bone which i should have pulled up the (laughs) 
the details of it before we started recording but it's yeah. a movie and there are people in it and there are there's <laughs> actors there's also there's trees there is there's a lot of trees it's very mm-hmm. cold also yes. like i have to say i was like this is a cold movie and it was not great because the the other day when i was re-watching it it like upstate new york had decided to just like ah, it's not really spring it's actually <laughs> fall and just got really cold and i was like this is very apropos and i am not a fan uh, <laughs> maybe not very... quite as cold as the ozarks in like the winter time but still not great <laughs> still just basically rude um <laughs> yeah so okay so basically this is a film that was like i mentioned before it was uh, directed by Deborah Granick, who also co-wrote the screenplay alongside Anne Rossellini. It was based on a novel also called Winter's Bone that came out in 2006, and that was written by Daniel Woodrell. And um, this movie was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Lead Actress, Jennifer Lawrence, Best Supporting Actor, John Hawks, and Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for Deborah Granick and Anne Rossellini, was not nominated for Best Director, which is why it was on our list of potential films to, uh, to talk about this month was because it was nominated for Best Picture, but not for its lady director. So um, yeah, you first saw this movie, Lauren, 10 years ago when it came out? Yeah, definitely fairly close on to it coming out um, because uh, honestly, like in rewatching it this week, I realized about 10 minutes of it, I was like, oh, I do have no memory of this. <laughs> um, it was like, I remember certain set pieces and I'm certain that we'll talk about one of the pieces that I do remember quite vividly. Uh, but but otherwise I was, I just, I guess I just remembered a feeling Mm. kind of of like oh it was cold and dismal and Jennifer Lawrence was really good uh and that was about it so I, I was glad to get to rewatch it actually because I realized in rewatching it that I really liked it and uh that I could not remember much of what happened yeah I I remember watching this because you know I was trying to see all the movies that were nominated for best picture this was in that I think this was in that year where they still had the full 10. It wasn't the sliding scale yet. I think that was the next year. But um, anyway, so I was watching all the best picture nominees and I had a group of friends. We were doing a book club because we're a bunch of white girls, you know, and that's what you're supposed to do. And um, we had read The Hunger Games and there had been talk about the movie that they were going to do a movie. And so, you know, we had been kind of casting it. And as soon as I saw Winter's Bone, I was like, guys, this is who needs to play Katniss Everdeen. She'll be perfect. She's basically already played the role. (laughs) And everyone told me I was crazy. And well, yeah, obviously I should be a Hollywood casting director, but um, because that's exactly what happened. But anyway, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. So, Um, but yeah, I, I, my feeling was similar when I was watching the movie again today. I finally, I, I finally got to watch it today. Um, and I realized there were a lot of things I remembered. I remembered, mm-hmm. um, John Hawks being really, really good. And I remember, you know, just certain, certain moments you can't really forget in this, but mostly like you said, it was the, the mood and the cold yeah 
those are, are very, very specific elements that really um, are central to the story and become they almost become characters themselves like the cold yeah is almost another character in the film well it, it is that you know i was thinking about the title of winter's bone and i'm not i'm not even certain what the title where the title originates from but the sensation that that kind of a title produces of just like that and to me it the the thing that it immediately evoked was just that feeling of the bone deep cold mm -hmm. right that that cold that you really can never get warm from um, and the film really, really does that. Like you get the sense of, of her, particularly the, um, uh, the family constantly being cold, constantly kind of layering their clothes um, because, you know, they don't have central heating. They, they heat everything via wood fires, basically. Um, and, and that cold that kind of just seeps into you and doesn't really let you go. And the film gets at that in a, a very visceral way without without making it um without making it particularly uh voyeuristic or anything like that like it doesn't feel like you're reveling in these people's suffering it's more like we're going to put you in the position of people that are experiencing this yeah let's let's talk about that because this is a movie it's set in the ozarks there's another movie i want to talk about that's in appalachia but um this is set in the ozarks and it's basically jennifer lawrence plays a girl re who finds out at the very beginning that her father who was arrested and is due in court very soon put up their house and land as bond to get out of jail on bond and he has been nowhere to be found he's disappeared and if he doesn't show up for court that they're going to lose everything and this is already a family that really doesn't have anything and so this 17 year old girl is going through and trying to trying to find her dad or at least find out what happened to him and this is not a safe place for girls <laughs> this is definitely um there's a lot of of social problems but there's also just a lot of um uh, you know gender equality issues age there's a lot of things at play that make this a very um specifically dangerous position for this young lady to be in and she's also trying to take care of her brother and sister and i just i, I like what you said and i want to talk about that a little bit more about how it never it never revels in their poverty it never uses that as something of like um like it's not glorified and it's not um oh, what's the word i'm looking for it's not i mean the the idea that i had was that it's not really to be pitied right the, yeah the film the film doesn't treat it as something like oh look at these poor white trash you know or anything like that 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 are so sad and you know riven with drugs and violence and um and all that kind of thing it's it gets at i think the the reality of the poverty Mm -hmm. um but also just the reality of the lives that they live as people right not as people that are impoverished or people that are from the ozarks people that are this or that but that they're they're very much fully realized human beings um and and i think that that's where it begins to there it, it was interesting because actually the first time i saw this film one of the things that troubled me a little bit about it was that i felt that there were places where it was edging close to essentially poverty porn right to kind of this 
Hollywood view of the way that poor people live. And particularly um, when you're talking about rural poverty and you're talking about these very isolated communities. Um, and, and so it, there was that sense to me initially that, that it was somewhat voyeuristic, rewatching it now, and this is many years later, um, I don't have that same sense and maybe I have a better sensibility of what it means or you know, maybe my perspective has just changed, but mm -hmm. there isn't that same sense I think, as there is in some films where, you know, we're kind of going to use poor people and particularly rural poverty as a way of uplifting the viewer, you know, sort of being like, well, your life is better than this, or saying like, well, you can escape from this, these people can escape. Mm -hmm. um, there's not much of a sense that Re or, or her brother or sister, et cetera, can really escape from it, but they can have a better life. And I think that that's part of what she's trying to navigate. She's trying to protect them. She's trying to take care of her family and she's doing it because there is no one else that can. Yeah, because her mother is there and, but we hardly ever see her. She's mentally ill. I think the implication is that there's also a lot of drugs at play there, um, but you really never see or hear from her mom. And it's really just all her. And I think one of the really effective things that, that Granick does in making this just a very, um, making this really just feel like you're, you're with Ree and you're going through her experience and not, not looking on her to pity her, but to really just feel what she feels is there are so many moments where like, there'll be people having a conversation about her or about her situation in another room but the focus stays on her and like sometimes she can kind of hear what they're saying sometimes she really can't um you see like head shakes and nods and things like that but the the camera is always on her and just really letting you feel her experiences and letting her process and us then processing what's going on with her like through her face through her emotions and frequently through her lack of reaction to things because yeah. she's used to um being dismissed she's used to not getting what what she needs or what she wants yeah and she knows how to navigate this world you get the definite sense that these, these are all people that she knows the mm -hmm. and i mean she even talks about the fact that she's related to most of them in some way yeah um and and so these are people that she knows that she has known for a while and she understands the way that the society works and she understands how to navigate it. She's also in a position where, like you say, she's a girl, right? She's a teenage girl, she's 17 years old. Um, she doesn't have access to a lot of the areas and a lot of the spaces that she, that she wants to have access to in order to find her father. Um, and she's kind of trying to navigate all of this. And also, you know, there are several moments where she based, she seems to acknowledge at a certain point, she's just like, he's dead like she knows that mm -hmm. and the whole point is she just wants to know where he is because if he is dead then she can prove to the cops that she's dead and she's not gonna that that he's dead and she's not gonna lose the house and the land um one of the things that what you were just describing also kind of reinforces the whole view of this as being basically a hard-boiled noir um, most of the story is told through Ree's perspective. I think there's maybe one or two scenes that she is not personally witnessing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think there's one scene with her uncle in the bar and there might be another scene where she's actually not immediately like present watching what's happening. Um, but other than that, it's, it's all told, it's all focalized through her, it's all her perspective. So she acts as like this Philip Marlowe kind of detective who is moving throughout this landscape, who understands it, but is also to a certain degree an outsider because she's doing this kind of investigation. Yeah, yeah. And because of, that's partly because of her age, it's partly because she wasn't involved in her dad's illegal yeah. activities and things. She was insulated from that because um, she's just home taking care of the kids but it's like she's even missing out on her own education you know like she takes the the siblings to school but she's wandering the hall she's not going to class or anything you don't get this sense of like where she can go in her life but she definitely is very um literate in the society that she's in and and like you say she knows how to navigate that she knows where the real dangers are and she's able for the most part to avoid any really significant issues until she gets to the point where she's kind of pushed a little too far and has no choice and walks into yeah. a very dangerous situation knowing that she has to but yeah i think that the comparison to to noir is is very absent i think that that's one of the things that makes this such a fascinating story and i think that that's one of the things that makes deborah granick a really good writer and director is that she knows how to use these different tropes from different genres in great effect because if this was just a sad movie about a poor girl trying to find her dad it could have gone a lot of different ways and many of them very wrong but instead, it's this very determined, very capable young woman who is very emotionless through a lot of this. Like you said, she's, she's, she comes to accept the fact that her father has died, but she also knows there's nothing she can do about it. She knows probably on some level that she's honestly better off because, I mean, he put their house up as bond for his arrest. Yeah. on meth cooking you know so it's like yeah. it's better off and she never really gets gets a chance or even signifies that she necessarily wants to grieve she just is a girl who's learned to just pick pick up and just keep moving on mm -hmm. and at 17 she's ready to do whatever it takes to keep her brother and her sister together uh with her and to take care of them and make sure that she that they're able to have a good life and not turn out the way that their father did yeah, I, I think that, that there is a little bit, the film does get at maybe the affection that she had for her father, like some of the things, her looking at his clothes. Yeah. And her kind of telling her brother and sister, oh, this is, you know, dad's squirrel gun and here's, here are the things. So I, I think actually as the film develops, initially it seems like, oh, he was a bad dude that then kind of like, that totally fucked up. But even as you get to learn more and more about him and she gets to learn more about him, he realized the reason why he was killed yeah. and the, and that he was actually in his own probably very fucked up way was trying to do the right thing and was trying to actually protect his family and failed at it ultimately. Um, and, and actually probably caused them a lot more suffering, definitely caused them a lot more suffering than they <laughs> needed to, but yeah. it was this attempt. And, and I think that there is that affection and that comes through without, 
her excusing him without her mourning him necessarily, but just her kind of remembering the things that she did with him and the life that, you know, maybe they might have had. Uh, and you get a little bit of, you get enough of that, I think, that it complicates the emotions of the story. Yeah. And I don't mean to imply if I did that she doesn't care that her father's dead. Oh, yeah, because no. yeah, I, I definitely do not think that that's the case. It's just, she doesn't, she doesn't have time to really do much about that emotionally just because she's got a family to take care of and a house to save. Yeah. She, she has to deal with whatever is happening. That's just mm -hmm. something that she has to do. And it's obvious in the way that Lawrence plays her in the way that she's directed in the way that she's filmed this is something she is used to doing that she understands that she doesn't have that um freedom to you know break down crying or anything like that and there are those moments where she becomes very young and you can see that in her face where she stops being this kind of hard-boiled figure and is actually just like this is a 17 year old girl who is basically playing being the mother to her to her own mother and to her siblings mm -hmm. and it, there's um there's a great moment that is is almost it's quick it's like blink and you'll miss it but uh where one of the characters says don't you have a man who can do this yeah. and she's yeah. like no there is no man right there's no one but her who can kind of navigate this space she has to be the one to do because there's literally no one else that can mm -hmm. yeah yeah until her uncle comes along and decides to help her out because finally <laughs> right right and and in some ways that's part of probably what helps get the ball rolling and is able to bring her to the conclusion because the and that's not that's not like oh well there's this white knight man that comes in to save the day it's part a big part of that is it's just the reality of this society is that you know it's easy to dismiss a kid it's easy to, to dismiss a girl but once her uncle comes along and is getting himself involved in the situation then that becomes a bigger problem and the folks that do know what happened realize that they don't have a choice they need to help her out in some way yeah and i think that this entire film engages very deeply with this issue of gender and and in a very complicated way and maybe a way that we don't necessarily expect but that the men do have this degree of power but the women act as the gatekeepers mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was one of the things that struck me in rewatching it this time is that at each point, so she starts out on her journey, right? She starts out looking for her father and every single place she goes to, the first person that she meets is the woman at the door. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it might be her friend, it might be an aunt, it might be, you know, a cousin, whoever, but there's always a woman who is guarding the door who decides about access um to the man and almost all of them try to help her mm -hmm. uh they they say like well i'll talk to so-and-so you know i'll talk to teardrop i'll talk to thump right and but you stay out here and so there's there's this really interesting kind of hierarchical passage right um that the women guard the space around the men and the men are the ones who have the final say but the women are also the ones who um who are the gatekeepers who who have who hold the door you know are are we going to let you in are we not mm -hmm. um 
so it's it's an interest it's a really interesting structure and you can almost like miss what is going on because it's such a fluid film yeah well like there's even that moment where she goes to see her friend and she's asking if she can borrow the truck and her friend's like well i have to go ask my husband and she comes back and she's like he said no and re says something to her i should have written it down but re basically says to her it's really sad to see you in a situation where you have to ask a man's permission and then you listen when he says no to you you've been listening to our april bonus episode winter's bone to hear the rest of this episode please go to patreon.com citizen dame and subscribe